Hi and welcome to lesson two in pillar five of the Let the Numbers Decide course. My name is Colin Miles aka The Numbers Guy and this lesson we're calling Playing in the Big Leagues. We touched on it a little bit in the previous lesson. This is all about small business investments and we're going to look at the following um, uh, how you can really dramatically grow your business. Getting an injection of cash for your business can be the difference between long-term growth and having to shut up shop early. Lots of small businesses fail to invest properly in their own growth, so it's important to know when to get extra help and how to go about seeking those investments. So what we're going to look at in this lesson, well, we're going to look at small business investments, as I've called it. There are five key areas we're going to look at in that, um, from things like um, invest, small business investment explained, um, how to tell if you need business investment, through where can I get some business investment. Then in the second part of the lesson, we're going to look at uh, company acquisitions, and it's time to take on the additional business, go out and acquire things, and the reasons, the strategy, and some, and some analysis and approach. So quite a big meaty section in the middle, and then we're going to close out this uh, fairly long um, module with mergers and a step-by-step -step approach, because I feel it's important when we're in cycle three of your business that you understand where you need to get to if this is what you want to do. So let's leap on in and please feel free to take notes, follow along. Hopefully you've downloaded the ebook that goes alongside it by now. You know the approach. Um, I narrate, you follow along, you can make notes, etc. Um, as we come close to the end of this program uh, and its entirety. So let's have a look first of all at the small business uh, and a small business investment explained as I like to call this. Any money spent on running a business is an investment. Um, you put your own hard effort into it, you put your own money into it um, and it could have come from a family, it could have come from friends, it may even have come from external finance uh, that you went out and borrowed a bank loan but as long as it's used to grow your company and not take it out as wages then guess what it's classified as business investment. An example might be that you might buy new equipment, some new IT, hire more staff, provide staff training and development, you move into better premises, etc. Think back to the examples of from the Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, when the investors, the sharks, the dragons, they're wanting to know what you're going to spend their money on. And the moment you say stock or paying your bills, they're out because that's not an investment. That is using their funds to pay the day-to-day. -day. So you might want to be developing your brand. You might want to protect your intellectual property. All of these examples involve spending money, but in the hope that you'll achieve greater longer-term um, success. Hence, investing in your business rather than just spending in your business. So that leads us on to... Um, how to, sorry, how to tell if you need business investment. Apologize, I had a bit of a brain fart there. Um, it's always a big challenge to start a business and that's why you're involved in this course uh, because you want to know how to start a business. But like all houses, we've used that analogy a lot. If you build your foundations knowing that long term you want to have a mansion which will include acquisitions and additions, then it's important to know how to grow. So it may be hard to tell exactly what you might need to inject more funds into. For example, you might 
find you and your staff are working long hours but not managing to grow the business much. Or you might be just struggling to reach sales targets or feel that your marketing isn't having the impact you want. Other signs that you need investment could be that you're falling behind the competition and need to be more innovative or staff morale is low. If you think about the organisational structure um, and attracting the right talent, if they know where your business is going, then they have a chance to be able to support you. High staff turnover or stagnant or even falling revenue and failing to hit annual targets are all signs that your business may need investments. Another sign could be simply it could be as simple as simple as the, as the state of your premises. Does your shop look tired? Is your office drab? Is it off-putting to new recruits? A little smart spending can now prevent greater costs later on. So it's not just about necessarily rapid growth. It's about thinking about ensuring that your business is doing well. So how, in the next section we're going to look at is how can investment help my business grow? Well, there are key areas in which your business might benefit from investment. And don't just always think about it as products. It could be people. Your team will be your driving force behind where your business goes. For not knowing, uh, for, for nothing, sorry, not for nothing are people known as the biggest business asset. But remember, you don't own your staff, so it's just the intellectual property. But by investing in training and development, you can equip them with the skills and the knowledge that they need to progress your business efficiently. So back to the organisational structure and oiling the machine about being a good boss, a good employer. It also pays to invest in your company's culture and that will come forward can providing supporting an onboarding program and having some structure so that they understand where you want to go. An employee benefit package that we talked about a little bit in oiling the machine is very popular and effective form of people investment. Um, an attractive package might include a good workplace pension, flexible working, holidays, and we've touched on all of that in being a great employer. So don't underestimate that as actually an investment in your business and not just additional cost. Because if people work well and they feel good at work, well, guess what? To use a phrase from the one minute manager, people who feel good about themselves produce great results. Another thing might be that you want to look at is in perhaps might be uh, equipment and processes. Um, outdated ma machines and manual processes are likely to slow you down. And if your business is mainly online, as we talked about before, you need to be online, then you need to take care to keep pace with technology as competitors can quickly overtake you with systems that are more modern and more friendly and up to date. Um, and again, market research, checking out the market, keeping looking outwards and not just inwards to make sure that you don't miss any opportunities. But done properly, it should pay for itself. Market research has two key benefits, um, staying in touch with your core market and identifying new risks and opportunities. And research and development and marketing are two other areas that you need to consider. And marketing, nearly every business needs to carry out marketing of some sort. And marketing is simply about reaching prospective clients and customers. And we touched on that in the uh, um, building the blueprint and sweating the assets. And there's a whole section on marketing. So if you've forgotten it already, go back to module to pillar two because you've got lifetime access to see what it's all about. Spend some of those coins on blue skying marketing because it's key to everything. This is a particular challenge for small businesses. So help from marketing experts such as ourselves and other people from the Global Impact Accelerator can make a world of difference. Now we're going to look at what type of investments can I get from my business? Well, there are three main ways to secure investments for your small business. There's debt. 
Um, in other words, bank funding, uh, which is involved taking out a business loan, usually from a bank or other lending source. But that comes with a cost. Remember, when we looked at the profit and loss and the impact on the business, um, where you not only have you got to pay back the capital, but you'll be charged an interest rate as well. And sometimes these are secured against your company assets, rather like a mortgage on your home, while others are unsecured, maybe like a bank overdraft or a short term loan. But you need to be able to meet the eligibility, the criteria, um, which usually means you need to be a good business, you need to be in trading for a while, um, and you need to have a business plan, a numbers plan, a customer plan. And ultimately, you can use this course to build all three of those, which is what I promised we would do at the beginning, so that you can go off and expand your business or even use them to fund your first loan as your startup. And that's what we can help in the corner being the numbers guy. The stronger the case, the more likely you'll be able to borrow at a greater and better rate. There's also private equity. This involves selling a stake in your business to a wealth investor or a group of investors in exchange for a cash injection. Usually the stake you'll sell will be no more than 30% and in return the investors may also provide business support and guidance. And what better way is in example would be Dragon's Den or the Shark Tank where they're trying to bring their wealth and experience. Um, but there's also um, angel investors and there's a whole uh, uh, opportunity out there. Business mentoring can help, etc. So private equity is another way. And then, of course, there's the organic reinvestment. You can plough a proportion of your own profits back into your business rather than taking them as income. If you can afford to do this, then the benefits can be significant. You avoid debt and interest, which obviously is an expense, and the associated, I say, interest payments, and you don't dilute your shares in your business if you don't take on a private equity. So any growth, exponential growth that you might achieve or even growth at all, it's going to come straight back to you. Furthermore, if you, don't, uh, if you do later seek debt or equity funding, your future investors will be impressed by this confidence that you had in your own business. And you often hear of that even with large public companies where the directors of the business will be known to be actually buying shares and that's showing their belief that they believe in their own business as well. So let's now look at the next, what business investment should I get? Well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it, really? The right choice of business investment will depend on your personal circumstances. If you're making a healthy profit and can afford to forfeit some of it, then reinvestment of profits may be the most efficient option. However, if you want fast growth um, but aren't sure how to manage it yourself, then private equity investor could bring that expertise uh, and uh, uh, etc. So, you know, uh, that, that has an immense value as well, not just the money. But obviously, finally, debt funding from a bank may be most appropriate if you if you want to keep 100% of your equity, but it can't afford to sacrifice a large chunk of your profits. In other words, you need the extra cash from outside. So that gives you an overview of uh, some of the ways that a small business may invest. Now we're going to move on to a company's acquisition and what, a, what an acquisition might look like. So what is a company acquisition takeover? Well, a company acquisition can be a fast track to business growth. Like merging with another business, it can give you access to new customers, distribution channel skills and knowledge while putting more resources at your disposal. A business acquisition may also help you develop your own products and services. But such a great opportunity, as always, comes with a risk. There's no magic formula to guarantee a smooth ride. But with considered approach, you could keep this risk manageable. And there are some key steps that you need to think about when moving along um, 
moving along the, the process. Um, so let's revisit what is a company acquisition takeover. Well, a company acquisition or takeover is where one company purchases most of or all of the shares of another company fairly straightforward, to become the major shareholder and therefore major owner. As a majority shareholder, you can make decisions without the consent of other shareholders, so effectively you're running the business. You may consider to absorb, you may choose to absorb the acquired business into your own company and put your own branding in place, or keep it current, keep its current identity and make it a sub-brand of your own. Keeping its or original identity may be preferable if there's good brand requisition. And an example, if you're from the UK, would be the John Lewis partnership. For many years, they went around buying department stores, but they didn't trade as John Lewis over the door. Um, Peter Jones of Sloan Square, Bonds of Norwich, um, uh, and many other of the more provincial branches traded under their company names that they bought. However, over the last five to 10 years, John Lewis have felt that the strength of the John Lewis brand is outstripping the minor brands. And so now the only one left in the whole of the John Lewis partnership that is trades under its own original name is Peter Jones of Sloan Square. Everybody else has been rebranded as John Lewis. But another example might be when, say, Coca-Cola goes and bought, went and bought Sprite. Well, it didn't rebrand it as Coca-Cola um, Lemonade. It felt that Sprite was a strong enough brand in its own way. So there are things that you might want to think about uh, when it comes to an acquisition. You might want to think about where do you start? Well, if you think, obviously, like everything, you need to think of the beginning. What is the rationale behind wanting to acquire? There should be a clear reason for making the acquisition of that particular company at that particular time. You need to make sure that you have your specific reason and your objectives are shared with your staff so that they know what you're doing and they know where they're going as well. You need to think about how you're going to find your target um, company. The best way to choose a business for acquisition is to pick one that actually complements your own most effectively. A badly performing business may represent good value if you have what it takes to turn it around, but lots of firms do this, but it's a margins game. And before attempting it, you need to be absolutely sure of your sums and your capabilities. Let's now have a look at some of the reasons why you might think about an acquisition. Now here are some of the main reasons you might want to take over another business. And in most cases, more than one will apply. You might believe that you can improve the performance of the target company. A badly performing business may represent a good value if you have what it takes to turn it around, as I've mentioned. Um, but that takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of uh, hard work. Uh, and you need to be absolutely sure, as I've said, about your numbers. You might want to remove excess capacity from the industry. If you're in a mature industry in which supply is outstripping demand, acquiring a competitor gives you the opportunity to streamline the supply line more effectively. You can help you target the company to penetrate, um, sorry, you can help the target company to penetrate a market. A smaller target company may be struggling to, to penetrate a market, and what they'd be missing is your negotiating power where you're the bigger person. You may want to acquire new skills or technology by acquiring that company with the skills or technology that your business doesn't have. You might see an opportunity to scale that business. Um, 
by making this might be applicable to smaller acquisitions because many large companies are using all of their resources and if your business is unable to improve margins by scaling down it can be a smart move to acquire a small business and increase the team or equipment to reduce operational load so your opportunity to scale a scalable business is, is what I'm trying to get at take a winner you might want to pick a winner um, as we talked about here if you spot a young business with a huge amount of potential it can result in a really lucrative acquisition and some of the most successful acquisitions include a large company acquiring a small startup business and helping it grow and develop. This could be a winning strategy as long as the target company can keep the magic alive. So we're going to have a look at some strategy um, ideas and the 11 basic um, acquisitional strategies. So your acquisitional strategy is essential. Is essentially, sorry, the sum of all your business reasons for seeking this acquisition. You need to be clear in your own business plan. We come back to the plan. We need a strong plan. We need to have built those plans and we need to have invested in the pillars um, before we got to this final pillar. So once you own business plan, what's the long term goal of your company? And this will help you choose the right strategy. So let's have a look at what I call, as I say, the 11 basic acquisitional strategies in a little bit more detail. So we've got number one, which is the sales growth. By acquiring other businesses, you can grow at a much faster rate than you could achieve through organic growth. So that's often a big driver. Um, and you'll see that in many cases when a new board of directors of a large company, they want to see top line growth very rapidly. But as we've said, top line growth isn't necessarily it needs to be it needs to flow all the way down to your profits. Regional growth. If you want to be a major player in a new sector or a new, sorry, a new location, maybe in a new state or a new country, a new town, then this might be a way of, of growing very quickly as you can face many obstacles such as setting up a new offices, warehouse supply chains and staffing if you try to do it yourself. But buying a similar business in your desired location already is a great way to grow rapidly by acquiring their infrastructure. Then we look at perhaps industry roll-up. A roll-up is where you buy lots of small companies, similar, and then roll them up into one bigger company. And again, um, you'll need a lot of money to do that as you go off and buy, and you need the infrastructure in your own business because this is going to be very challenging and very um, time-consuming. And perhaps that's where, if you're going to do an industry roll-up, using a business mentor or an angel investor who has the experience in doing such field, uh, because they're tricky to get it right, as all the different businesses need to be aligned, harmonised and rebranded. Then we've got diversification. And if your company's revenue comes mostly from one narrow source or market, you may want to branch out into other revenue streams. Um, we talked about that already in the fact that here at Miles Better, we've done that so that we're not so reliant on one area. Um, and you can do this organically, but the fastest way, obviously, is to acquire businesses that are already thriving in the other niches. Then we can look at full service and this is similar to diversification and this strategy involves expanding your services or products to offer a broader range. The way it differs from diversification is that the new products or services are inherently related to your core offering. For example, if your business is a, is a hairdresser, then acquiring a beauty salon would, would, would be a move towards a full service offering. Um, and that's probably really what we've done here. Rather than diversify, we've gone to the full service as to what's next when talking to our entrepreneurs when they are asking what is next in their business. 
Then you've got adjacent industries, another variation on diversification. This is where you buy a business in another industry that's adjacent to your own. Another example of an adjacent industry might be Nike entering the mountaineering market, initially selling climbing footwear, then expanding into other climbing equipment. Vertical integration, we're getting technical here now, is where you buy up the business in your own supply chain so as to complete control over every stage. This can produce greater efficiencies or synergies, and we'll touch on those in shortly, um, and may also be good for branding point of view. An example, if you produce health, food or luxury goods, it is an outstanding selling point to be able to boast that you oversee every stage of the production. So that might be an example of owning the leather work that produces the leather that goes into coach bags and then coach sell them in their own stores. Product supplementation. This is where you identify a business that offers products or services that would complement or supplement your own, thus giving quicker fill in the gaps to your products. Um, and again, that would allow you to ensure that your customer doesn't necessarily go somewhere else because acquiring customers are painful, they're expensive, and the last thing we want to do is lose them to another business that may have something that fits their complete protocol, uh, etc. Then we've got synergy. It's a popular buzzword and it's apparently short for synchronised energy. And in English, this can be summed up as simply finding the most efficient way of working together. So, for example, if one company has an outstanding supply chain and another has an exceptional distribution, but each lacks the other, then the combining the two will give great synergy. Um, if you think about, go to some of the films, the uh, Wall Street with Gordon Gecko uh, and these big takeovers from the 90s and the early, to the early 2000s, it was all about the synergy that they could find, how that would drive savings and stuff. And in many cases, that's always hard to prove. And last couple of things we're going to look at in this uh, section of the, of, the, of the lesson is low cost. And one way to dominate a market is to simply uh, be the cheapest option. But in order to make a profit while selling your products at the cheapest price, you need to have extremely high sales volume, known as the Parlem High, Sell Them Cheap approach. And attaining this position quickly usually requires making multiple acquisitions of the businesses that already have a good market share and then working to achieve synergies, as we talked, between them. The supermarket sector is one of those where they try and you've got to turn things very, very quickly. And market window, and that's the final strategy, is let's suppose you see an opportunity to launch a new business product or service to catch a market trend and perhaps lead it. The problem is you can't mobilise your own company to deliver it fast enough to optimise this opportunity, perhaps because you don't have the expertise, resource or market positioning. And in this scenario, you might target a company that is the more advantageous position and achieve your vision through the acquisition. So again, looking outside and thinking, I can do that better, but they're doing it already and let's take over them. So that's the 11 strategies or some of the 11 strategies um, and please refer to the uh, ebook for some more details as we've covered a lot in that section. So how do you analyse a company uh, for acquisition? Ultimately you need to be sure you've done your homework on any target company before you make that initial um, approach. Uh, and uh, 
things uh, that uh, we want to think about is obviously investigating the business's finance. You're going to want to need to see their financial statements. You're going to want to see their growth. And obviously, importantly, what is their cash flow? You want to check out their assets. Find out what assets belong to the company itself or have they leased everything? Does it look like they own a lot, but they don't? And you want to make sure exactly you know what you're getting. So you need an accountant. You need to look at the analytics, as I've used in this example here. You need to make sure you know every single line. You need to look at their liabilities. What do they owe? Liabilities include not just debt, but also taxes, the ongoing salaries of employees, contractual obligations. Um, and you need to find out what special permits they have, etc. So it's not a very, it's not an easy win. You need to have a, um, some support in your corner and ask you ultimately how will it benefit you when you're looking to acquire somebody. Identifying all the areas that will complement your existing business, including areas of synergy, i.e., ways that will make both businesses more effective. So now that you're ready to take the plunge, as I like to say, how should I go about it? So you've decided to make that acquisition. Do you start by looking around at the companies that are available? Uh, that's wrong. That's a reactive approach. Doing it that way, you mean you'll only find a limited range of opportunities that might not be the best fit for you. Broadly speaking, the correct approach looks a lot more like um, an, a proactive you pick a team within your company. You should have a working group with representatives from each of the areas and they need to be able to work together and communicate clearly from the get go. You need to make a plan. Why are we doing this? What are your specific objectives? How are you going to finance the deal and where are you going to get your numbers? You need to name a price. Valuing is, value is a tricky thing and it's hard to nail down what the right acquisition is worth to your business. But you need to understand the finances, which is why we've been teaching you about profit is sanity, um, turnover is vanity, but cash is king. And so you need to have a numbers guy in your corner to help you make that plan, to name that price. And once you've got your plan and your optimal price tag for your acquisition, because it needs to work, it needs to trickle through to the numbers, because whatever number you come up with isn't necessarily going to be the number you're going to pay. Um, you've got that thing. It's time to identify those targets and make your approach. And you probably need a broker and you need to have factored that in. And you need to see if they're even interested and what that's going to look like. There are many businesses that get approached every day. Um, so don't be afraid because it's often flattery that that company thinks that they are up for, that somebody is interested. Acquisitions are expensive because you have to buy things. And so you're going to need to have good funding. And we talked about whether it was perhaps a private investor, maybe it was some equity, maybe it was a debt. Um, but there are also corporate finance people out there who, again, that's a sort of a little bit like venture capitalists is another word that you might have heard banding around. Um, and you need a strong business pitch to demonstrate to any of those how your company will thrive post the acquisition and repay that investment. So ultimately, the golden rule of an acquisition is be 100% sure of why you are doing this. With your specific goal fixed in your mind, you should be able to press on through every challenge because there will be many. Um, and there will be many road bumps. There will be many bumps in the road, as you can imagine. And now we move on to the certainly a topic I'm calling not for the faint hearted, a merger. Mergers and acquisitions are often mentioned in the same breath. 
But the merger of two companies works in a very different way from a takeover. If your small business wants to join force with another to create a new company, this presents its own, own unique set of challenges. Merging two companies are equal partners is a delicate process to manage and indeed true mergers are relatively uncommon as more often than not one company tends to be the junior partner. Even more than an acquisition, a merger needs to be mutually beneficial with the goals and demands of both companies given equal weight. But if you can get the balance right, a merger may have the advantage over an acquisition by preserving the best of both companies without one superseding the other. So things that you need to consider when actually thinking of a merger. Every small business merger is different, but most follow a similar process. The process involves a number of separate tasks, mostly driven by the senior larger group in the merger, but involving you obviously thinking about um, uh, a target company and agree to merge the negotiations. We're going to want to appoint an accountant. We're going to want to um, due diligence, um, et cetera, et cetera, communicate the changes. Um, and so things that we want to think about as we move forward is before the merger, ask yourself, why are we doing this? Um, are we ready? Make sure that you have a clear reason for wanting to merge and that your goals for this merger especially. This inv inv invariably means in-depth discussions with the owner of the company as your vision should be fully aligned and you need to define your goals as you move together. Maybe you want to scale your business. Maybe you want to grow um, grow your uh, market share or eliminate a competitor. Or maybe the business you're merging with has certain systems or distribution channels that might benefit. But you need to know what they're going to get from it, what you're going to get from it, and therefore is your business ready. It's vital to make sure that your business has good financial health um, to merge with somebody, that you've got your numbers are solid, that they're in real time, that you're able to determine what about your liquidity, your robustness, all words that you're, as I say, when you're in phase three or third, cycle of your business that you're important to have them ready at all but last and most importantly before both you and your merging company should conduct obviously some due diligence Due diligence in a merger is important. As you approach your chosen partner in the merger, you need to make absolute certain that the company is right is the right one to merge with. And this requires a really, I'm sorry, excuse me, <laughs> requires an awful lot of examination of the company's accounts, activities, and therefore you're going to need some outside resource to help you do that. Um, the list goes on of the things that you need to look at. The obvious ones are the accounts, the customer, the technology. But then you also want to think about are there any legal procedures, what tax regime they've got, are there any environmental policies, etc, etc. Due diligence is time consuming and can be costly but should never be skimped on. Discovering unpleasant truths about your target company is best done before you merge. Um, so adopting, uh, adopt a pop saying merge in haste, repent at leisure. Not a good thing. You also want to think about the shareholders and the effect that's going to have on them. A merger can have a major effect on the share price of both companies if you're listed. Um, but broadly speaking, shares in a smaller company, those being acquired, may go up, while shares in the larger partner tend to experience a dip. But again, if you're a private company, you want to obviously understand what, how are you going to split the business? How is this merger? How are the owners going to get their, their funds extracted as things move on? 
Post-merger, it's a common for the new company to obviously think about it in a new way and therefore have perhaps have a new parent company's name. Another thing to bear in mind is that the shareholders of both companies now have less influence um, and so they have an opinion and you need to bear that in mind, uh, etc. You also want to think about communication. More, It takes more than you think to keep open those channels of communication. You'll be merging not just processes and operations of your two companies, but the cultures too. Therefore, communication is paramount. Keep it clean um, and open. And in fact, err on the side of overdoing it. Staff can become uneasy even at the rumour of a merger and rumours spread fast. Give them maximum reassurance you can and, and push the benefits constantly alongside any practical information that you need to keep your people on board. So communication, communication, communication is key. The working group that you established at the, at the beginning can spend a lot of time in this sector making sure that people understand. You want to establish milestones. No merger goes completely smoothly or to plan um, and the key is to move quickly and to learn as much as you can so that you do avoid the uh, minefields that uh, could occur uh, with, um, with a lack of communication. You want to pay attention to the detail. It could be small everyday details that will determine how successful your merger is. Do your best to ensure that the staff are shielded uh, from the upheaval so that they can continue with their duties because the business needs to run, the business needs to keep going. And then, of course, you've got what's it going to look like post-merger. The biggest challenge of any merger is not the deal itself, but what comes in the weeks, months and even years that follow. You want to ensure that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And this means working out in detail how to piece the two business together. So it's important to have a plan as well. Um, as we've seen everything, what might happen after? You want to keep your staff informed. Uh, you want to have a consultation system in place. You want to identify cultural differences as part of the due diligence. And lay the groundwork to, uh, beforehand will reap rewards afterwards. And look for the problems. Don't just um, hope for the best. Actively seek out the problems and be a pessimist at times. And as I said, think about how you might get divorced before you actually get married is a great way of approaching um, approaching this uh, sector. And recognise the natural leaders within your new business and use them. People have lots of opinions um, and not all the leaders of actual uh, are often titled. Uh, so just as important are the co-workers who people respect and look up to. So again, communication and your due diligence when working with them. And, and ultimately, don't move too fast. Given the merger plenty of time to settle in and prioritise the most urgent changes is in key, but emphasising the positiveness and the role that each partner and each player will play is important. And be prepared for what might happen afterwards. You need to protect your business if things go wrong. The ultimate reality is that some mergers fail. If this happens, it's most likely um, to occur mid-integration during the critical transition period. And do all that you can to make this success, but don't stake everything on it. Ensure that both you and the other company has a contingency plan um, and that the contract between you has such a clause that deals with that should failure come out. Wow, we have covered an awful lot in this section, what I'm calling the small business investment section, because it's so big that I couldn't cover it in the first module. I wanted to bring it out, bring it back to play. So what have we looked at? Well, we've looked at 
the small business investment um, and the fact that there are um, we looked at uh, what investment how we explained it we talked about how investment might help your business grow um, how how there are various uh, Perhaps when you invest, that you're investing in your people, in equipment and market research. And so it's not necessarily tangible. Um, some of it's tangible, some of it's intangible. We talked about that it could be through debt or private equity. And we talked about the fact that there is no one uh, one shoe that fits all when it comes to small business investment. But ultimately, if you're investing in your business, you're investing in yourself, you stand a chance of your business to grow. We then talked about company acquisitions and how big and why you should perhaps acquire a business um, and that there are lots of reasons why you might want to acquire, that you believe that it will improve your business, that you can remove ex um, excess capacity uh, and you might see a winner out there that you want to get on and jump on quickly. And that there were, we also talked about the strategies, that there are 11 key reasons for, for perhaps diversifying, for uh, growth etc and then we've just gone through in detail mergers and a step-by-step -step process and that ultimately it's about communication and about planning and about working to ensure that you know why you want to expand and why you want to merge. That's a hefty weighty topic that, as I've mentioned a couple of times, we could turn into a whole course. And if there is a whole course interest, then please reach out and we can take it to the next level with some business mentoring and some additional help. But I thought it was important that we included that in this final pillar, uh, which is called building the empire, because small investments is all about building the empire. We are now going to move into our final lesson, which I'm calling my name is Bond, James Bond from Universal Exports as we look to touch on the topic of imports and exports as the final lesson in Let the Numbers Decide.